I don't think business owners should worry about everybody's opinions, you know, when it comes to your own staff. Take it as input, but, you know, if you think it's the right thing to do, you know, then you're going to want to do that. You know? And if people disagree with it, they'll leave of their own accord. Hi, everyone. This is Joshua Hoffman and Alex Garashenko, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success, and in season three, discuss how to build a community and referral network. Today, I have Cash Miller, the founder and CEO of Titan Digital, a marketing agency that provides web design, graphic design, search marketing, and social media services to all businesses, I should say, businesses of all sizes. Welcome, Cash. Hey, it's great to be here. And so I want to jump right into it uh, and go back to the early days because I think, honestly, you might have the most interesting start to an agency. And I know you've told this on other podcasts, but honestly, the story is so good that <laughs> I ask you to say it again. Um, so can you tell us where you started uh, or when you started the agency and, and how it all got started? Um, so I'm a multi multiple time business owner. Um, and like I tell people, I've only done really two things. I've been a business owner and I've been in the military. That's like it. So I did the military and the, in the army in the 90s. And I ran a business for eight years. Then I went back in the military and spent another like four and a half years. I did about seven and a half total. Um, and then I eventually became an agency owner. Um, so back in when I went back in the military, I was 2007 and I went in. I went back in, thought I would make it a career, but I had been an entrepreneur for like eight years. You know, as a previous business taken over from my father, I had been really burned out. So, I, you know, that's why I got out of it. But um, so I thought military, I'll do the career thing and everything. And then it took me uh, not even a year. I was getting ready to deploy to Iraq and I was like, you know, I need to do something that my creative energy was starting to come back on the front. And I ended up um, thinking, well, why don't I do like a small business website? And I'll put in all of the mistakes I made, you know, I'll write a bunch of content and, you know, I'll see what happens. And so I ended up during my deployment as just, you know, you'd have some time, you know, when you have free time, you got to have something to do. Right. So I ended up building my first website and I wrote a bunch of content, you know, a ton of, like 100 articles on yeah you know, everything from accounting to marketing to management as, you know. But eventually I got to the point where I was like, I don't want to keep writing all this content and I also need traffic, you know, so how do I get traffic? Um, I'm self-taught in SEO, you know, back in 2007, everybody's self-taught. If you started around there, you learned from other people posting stuff online, you know, but there wasn't universities and things like that, you know, like they have now that are teaching these programs. You know, you all learn, yeah, everybody learned from somebody else that was already doing. So, um, on the content side, I decided to hook up with some business coaches and say, hey, can I use your content? I'll give you a link to your website and everything. And then I started learning the SEO side and growing the traffic. And the coaches started noticing the traffic growth because they were starting to get more referral traffic from it. So some of them started asking me how I was doing it. And I was like, well, I'm SEO, you know, the site's SEO and everything. And some of them were willing to hire me. So it was like before... Um, was it side hustles became like a term. I was doing a side hustle because my day job was in the military. I would do that. And then if I had time at the end of the day, I might write another piece of content or tweak some of the content I had, publish somebody's stuff. And I just kept growing that traffic. And then you get to like 2011 
And I'm like, Ugh, I don't, you know, like, I don't want to stay in the military. I wonder if I can make this SEO thing, you know, a full-time gig. And it's funny, my very first, like, I had a few business coaches that were paying me on the side. But what I consider like one of my first true clients was actually a mergers and acquisitions company of all things. Um, and I was hired as like a freelancer to do paid ads for them, Google ads. And I was running those Google ads from Afghanistan. I'd been deployed there and they didn't know I was there. You know, it was, a, like I say, it was a side hustle. Wait, but I, I want to dive in a little bit more into the setting. Like, what does your day-to-day look like with trying to start this while still being in the army? Well, so since I started in Iraq, my day-to-day, um, I was in the quartermaster supply side and we would do convoys um, and go from base to base. I was in Baghdad and we would go out. So my day to day would be in the morning. You know, I'd be prepping to go on a mission, you know, some supply mission to some cop supply. I was in a, a combined arms unit. So we had Abrams tanks and Bradley's and such, you know, we had infantry guys, tankers and things, and they would have forward posts. So we'd have to go to those posts. So we would get our convoys ready. I was, I drove truck, you know, like the big, you know, giant trucks that you see that the army has. Oh, that was my day job, you know? So I would drive those things um, and we'd be out all day, you know, and then I would come back, you know, like we'd get done with the mission. We'd come back and if, you know, we were off once we were like settled away, okay, you know, and we lived in like, our base was a place called Fab Rastamaya. And it was a old Iraqi, like military training base. So we had what passed for their version of barracks and stuff. So, you know, I had a couple of roommates and I would go back and I yank out my computer and we did, you know, we paid for internet, you know, so we could get online. Um, they'd have local Iraqis selling us. We'd have to plug in this card into our computer to get into the network that was broadcast over the base and everything. Um, I don't remember. It, it wasn't cheap. I remember for considering where we were. Um, and so I would do that and I would keep working on this site. You know, it might be nine o'clock at night, but I would be, okay, let's publish more content. Let's, you know, let's optimize it. Let's, you know, let's let Google know all about it. And I just kept learning. If I wasn't doing something on the site, I was reading constantly, you know, to figure out more things about it. You know, it's like, I say, you know, self-taught, there's uh, all sorts of things. And I tried a number of different things too, when I was learning it, I tried, you know, got, uh, dip my toes in, you know, affiliate marketing and, you know, can we make, you know, cause my original idea was, could, you know, if I grow the traffic traffic enough, can I make money on AdSense? Yeah. I say Google's program, you know, where can I make money doing this? Crazy. Uh, first of all, thank you for your service. Um, and I guess, thank you for also building a company and being on the podcast. Um, <laughs> what, um, you know, tying the military and, the business, what did you learn from the military that you brought to the business? The biggest takeaway I, I always get, you know, from the military is when you're in any kind of organization like that, especially with the way that promotions work. Um, when I got out, I was a sergeant. And so I had soldiers that would work for me. And I, of course, worked, you know, I had my leadership. And uh, you learn ways to manage and ways not. You know, you see a lot of, you see good leaders. And I had some really good ones and I also had some bad ones, you know, and I would see how they would treat other people. So one of the things is people management, you know, the way you treat them, how you get them to do things, you know, in the military, it's always a big thing that do wrong, make them do a push up, <laughs> you know, like I said, we'll beat it in, you know, not beat it, but, you know, we will drill it into your head, you know, of how you messed up, 
not to do it again and stuff. And I'm like, well, okay, that's not going to actually work in the business world. And I had run a business. I knew it didn't work. You know, so I took some of my previous business experience and applied it to my leadership position. And then I also learned, you know, how do you kind of look at the bigger picture of things, of the people you're working with and how, because you deal with so many different people in the military, different backgrounds, ethnicities, you know, like, like all sorts. And when I was deployed, I, I spent a lot of time dealing with Iraqis. I spent a lot of time in Afghanistan. I had to deal with, you know, Afghanis too. And you just, you learn how to deal with people, how to treat them right, how to earn their respect, how to manage them, manage time. You know, all of these things are lessons that are pivotal, you know, in the business world. You know, and so I take those things, you know, and I use them on a daily basis because I say I saw what bad leaders look like when they would just yell at you and, and scream and, you know, may, and belittle you and things like that. You see that because the nature of the military and how promotions work you're going to get people that are that should not be leaders. It's just the way it, you know, that's going to happen. But you also get some really good people too. And those people, you take those lessons and they understood those things. Yeah. Now, um, I had uh, two platoon leaders, well, platoon sergeants, when I, different people when I went to Iraq and Afghanistan. And you saw different leadership styles. And those people, when if anything ever went wrong, those were people I respected, and I knew that they would make the right calls. They would make the right decisions because I could see them on a day-to-day -day basis, the way they carried themselves, the way they acted, the way they treated other people, how their decision-making went. That's It was invaluable. No, that's uh, I think that's a bunch of great lessons. And, and now to go from leaders to community, uh, right? So now not, not just the people at the top trying to get everything together, but Obviously, community, from my understanding, is and, and this being you know the topic of season three is is a big part of being in the army. Um, so, for lack of better question, what was it like to build the community to be part of the community when you were there? Well, the military. So it's it's really an interesting thing because you get a lot of people coming and going. You don't dictate. You know, people end up on orders. They join your unit. They leave your unit for various reasons. And when you're constantly getting new people and having people leave. You're always evaluating skills. You're seeing how people fit. You know, you get a lot of different personalities. And we had this interesting thing when you talk about building community. So when I went to Iraq, um, I was stationed in Fort Hood, Texas. Um, and it's like one of the biggest military posts in the world. I was part of the 4th Infantry Division. My battalion deploys. We had a lot of people that were under the program known as stop loss. So it's 2007, you know, 2008 when we deployed. So stop loss was a program that kept people from leaving the military because of the units or the jobs that they had. So their contract was up, but say the unit was soon to deploy, they would not allow them to end the contract. They involuntarily extended you to the end of the deployment. So you end up with a lot of people that have a lot of experience, but they're disgruntled. So you have a disgruntled community. And we had a number of people that when we went to Iraq that they they didn't want to be there. They shouldn't have been there. But the army said, you're going to be here, you know, because we need you to fill these slots. Otherwise, the unit would be shorthanded and we still need to send them. So you end up with a certain type of very veteran community. A lot of these, most of them had already been to Iraq before. They'd already been somewhere. Um, so they're very experienced, but there's that element of, of resentment towards the military. 
Yeah, because they're they they as far as they're concerned, they should be on with their life and not in the military anymore. Hmm. So you end up with this, and then when we get back, all of these people are released. So you have one type of community of all these experienced people. Then they all get a, they're allowed to go home. And our unit, though, we also contained a lot of people that were due to go to new assignments. Yeah, so they were staying in the military, but they were meant to be reassigned to a different base. And they took our unit and they moved it from Fort Hood to Fort Carson, Colorado. Fort Carson's a great post, really beautiful spot. It's up in the mountains. It's in Colorado Springs. Um, Well, the brigade, a typical army brigade, is about 4,500 people, depending on what type of brigade it is. So that's about what we had. Well, after Iraq, we lost 3,000 of them. Okay. And then the remaining 1,500-ish of us, we became the core of rebuilding the brigade. And now you get, you go from this community of people that are all experienced at what they do to we get the greenest people that the army has to offer. So we go from totally one of the most experienced probably in the army to the least experienced in the military. And we had to prep for Afghanistan. So now you have this core group of people that have been there, done that. And they have to now take these other brand new people fresh out of basic training. They were either people that had been out of basic training recently. This was their first duty assignment. Or you had people that had never deployed before and the army wanted to have them do their part. You know, so they might have been more senior people, but they had never gone to the war zone. So they would assign them. Well, either way. So you have this like interesting dynamic of inexperience and then you have other people that are experienced as far as the military is concerned but not as far as what you're about to go do yeah so it's a different type of community uh no i i love that and and now to go from disgruntled people in the army to disgruntled people in the workplace um you read an article in forbes i think it was, it was 2019 is what my notes say and it's yeah remember that it's your company everyone else is just along for the ride um and in there, you discuss how you've actually changed your initial vision. Not everyone was on board and you made mm-hmm. a few changes in that way. So can you actually just talk about what the process was like for that? So when you're like, just like with community and stuff, when you're, when you start a business as an owner, you have a certain vision, but over time that vision can change and you can have other employees, you know, people that work for your company that they may have start. you know, you were one thing when they began, you know, when they joined you. Okay, and over time, things might change some and they don't necessarily like that. People in general are very stubborn about change. That's just like that's our that that is human nature. Okay, people like, you know, like. A lot of people, you know, say, for example, if you work a factory job, okay, you're somebody on the line, you're doing a certain job, that job doesn't necessarily change much until you get promoted or something and you move to a different position. You know, people don't like change. That's why they do those kinds of jobs. And that goes for any number of businesses. You know, even in a marketing agency, if you are a graphic designer, you do, you design websites. That's it. That's, that's your job. You know, or you do print or you code or whatever it may be. So people get, so if you change how you do things, who you work with, that is disruptive. And anytime you disrupt something, yeah. so in the digital marketing world, you know, we changed, you know, we put at certain times, we put more focus to certain industries because there's a different way to sell. If you can tell people that 
you're an expert in that industry and you do become an expert. You know, if you focus in and you don't have to focus on just one, you can do multiple, but you know, we deal with a lot of different industries, but I, t- I tell people we have concentrations of certain types of clients, you know, based on the industry. We do a lot of insurance, but I also do a lot of hardware stores. Yeah. But I've dealt with all sorts. We've got 600 some clients. Um, so you can end up with people resistant to the change. At the end of the day, and that article was about the fact that you are the one person that is has to go through it. If you make the wrong decision, well, you'll suffer for it. If you make the right, you'll benefit. But a lot of those people that are resistant when you are going through that process may not be around. Majority, I mean, look at the workforce. How many of them, nobody stays for a 20-year career with anybody anymore. Yeah, that may have been, you know, back in 1950, sure. That was constant, you know, that was the, the typical thing. Stay at a company like General Electric or, you know, or Ford or something, and you'd be there your whole career. Who does that anymore? <laughs> yeah, and especially in this type of industry, it doesn't happen. You know, if you get five years out of somebody, that's a long time. Yeah, the average is probably more like three. You know, in which case, what I want to do as a business owner, three, four years down the road, you're not even going to be around to see, you know, what what came of it. I will be though, so I'm not, you know, I don't think business owners should worry about everybody's opinions, you know, when it comes to your own staff. Take it as input, but, you know, if you think it's the right thing to do, you know, then you're going to want to do that. You know? like, and if people disagree with it, they'll leave up their own accord. Alex, did you have something? I had something about the, um, <clears throat> the communities in the Army. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there is a difference between the community of the veterans or you know people who may have been disgruntled, um, and yeah. I'm sure a lot of them were not. Um, and then there's also and then the new community that came in uh, where they were more green. Um, was one of the communities tighter than the other? Yes. So the veterans would end up being a lot tighter. You know, the people that have been there because they have shared experiences. The only the disgruntlement was because the army was keeping them past their contract mm-hmm. lines and they were being forced to deploy. So they're they're you know risking their lives again. Yeah, because you know the nature of the jobs and going out, you know, if you deploy to a war zone, everybody's at risk. I don't care what you do. Yeah. So they the disgruntlement came from that. And that wasn't at the people around them, that was just at the army in general. Mm-hmm. But you have a tighter knit group because they may have deployed already before. I know when we came back, we were way tighter. So what we ended up when we changed bases, uh, we had all these new new people come in. So it was almost like there's us because we still had this core group of people that we had been there. We had done a, you know gone to Iraq, and then you had all these new people. Now when we got back, you know, after a few months in Afghanistan, that group starts to develop a tight knit focus too. It's a shared experience. That's the thing. And mm-hmm. anything for a war zone is so much more of a shared experience because we didn't, see, once you deploy, you don't see a lot of personnel turnover. You know, they wait till you get back. Yeah. You know? um, so I had soldiers under me that, you know, I trained them to do, you know, their jobs better. You know, over time um, we would go on missions constantly you know, I was an NCO, you know, a non-commissioned officer. So my job at that point, you know, in Iraq, I would drive the truck in Afghanistan. And we did 
you know, resupply mission. So we would run fuel, food, bullets, you know, you name it. Um, and we were doing this constantly. And in Afghanistan, as in Kandahar, you would be paired up with different people all the time. So you would get to know them on a way more intimate, you know, like basis of just who they are, you know, those people. And then, and that happens across the whole, whole unit. And a platoon, when you boil it down, our platoon was about 45 people. So that's 45 people working together constantly every single day. Not You don't get a break when you're deployed. It's, you don't go home at the end of the day. So you build those shared experiences. And eventually they turn like what I had in Iraq. That's what Afghanistan, all of those people came together the same kind of way. It just, you don't start out that way. Yeah. You become that over time. And when we went to Iraq, a lot of those people had already been in the unit. They'd been been on the previous deployment, you know. So they were they'd already gone through these experiences. So you get that tight knit part. And when I joined them, I was just I was another cog. And eventually, you get brought into the fold, sort of, yeah. Um, as they learn what you're capable of doing, you know. Initially, you're an outsider, yeah. Mm -hmm. But eventually, you're accepted as long as you're you know good at your job and you're competent. And they like you and all those you know just the standard stuff. If you were um, if you were starting a community now of peers, not um, business owner to employees, but peers, other business owners, um, and how would you let's say it's it's other marketing digital marketing agencies? Mm -hmm. um, what do you what type of shared experiences do you think would be helpful to create bonds um, that create a strong community? Whenever I talk to other so there's a couple of things that go into that. Everybody has to deal with clients on some level. So one of the biggest shared experiences is the types of clients we deal with. Yeah, I've talked to other agency owners, have my own little network and stuff. And, and one of the constant things that you hear are unfortunately the bad experiences. You could take that and say, okay, how, do we, how would we turn those things into more positive experiences or the lessons that can be learned? You know, so because every agency owner is going to have some client that was, for whatever reason, extremely difficult. And you have to learn from those to avoid, you know, the future. Yeah, I was just having that kind of an experience yesterday where we were talking to a prospective client and my team, you know, there was three of us talking to this client. My team was kind of pushing a little bit like, yes, yeah, so let's put together a plan. And I'm in the background going, no, uh -uh, not this guy. You know, this is not a this is not a good fit for us. And I was getting flashbacks of some previous mm -hmm. clients that were just really difficult. And I said, look, this guy's a referral. We need to talk to the source that referred. And sure enough, that guy says, yeah, this guy's really high maintenance. I'm like, no, we'll take a pass you know, on this. And so that's one of the things that you help other business owners. It's like, what are some of the red flags? You know, so that, that kind of a shared experience, we've all dealt with it, everybody. You know, everybody's had that bad client experience. And then you also have things, you know, because as business owners, you have a lot in common. It can be employees that don't get the vision or are difficult to manage. So how do you deal with those things? So unfortunately, some of it's like on the negative side, you know, but the idea is to be able to figure out strategies that can make it more of a positive because everybody, depending on the size of the agency, is going to run into different problems, you know. I've experienced a lot of the things that a smaller agency, you know, is maybe just going through, whereas you could have an agency that's, you know, larger than mine 
And they've got a different set of experiences. Like at some point they went through what I was going through, you know, what I am. And then, you know, and what I may come up, you know, come up against next. Yeah. And that goes with signing clients. Like there's all sorts of things because there's so every agency's running into the same challenges. Great. Thank you. And and you mentioned referrals, um, which, you know, again, staying on the topic of community, I think is is a great way of I shouldn't say milking your community. That's a bad way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> of properly using your community for business uh, on all sides, I guess is what I'll say. Um, do you have any mm-hmm. best practices? Do you have anything that kind of brings in more referrals? Any any kind of action on that side? The so the top of the on the top of mind is that you you have to communicate a lot with your clients. Okay, you you have clients of different size. Some are going to be larger, some are going to be smaller, but you have to give them all some level of attention. You know because if you don't automatically somebody will take, you know, is likely to take your place because they're going to, they'll go to some networking meeting and there will be somebody there, right. That's saying, Hey, I could do it better. And and they haven't heard from you in six months. Yeah. Cause you just, you know, you do a limited number of things for them potentially. Communication is huge. You know, if you're communicating um, with your clients a lot, even if it's just dropping notes and stuff, message, you know, quick emails, Checking in, saying, "Hey, you want to go? Th- you know, do a meeting, just you know, thirty minutes. Go through your account, things like that." Because a lot of times, business owners are busy. If it's if it looks like it's working in the background, they'll kind of like, "Nah, I'm good." You should try to uh, pursue these meetings anyway. Yes, everybody's busy. You know, this is why account managers exist. Doesn't have to be you, like somebody on your staff that's appropriate for those kinds of meetings. But you need to be doing that because if you're not communicating with your clients. Somebody will slide in. Um, you can miss opportunities because if you're talking referrals, for one, if you're heavy on communication, that looks good from customer service. If you're doing your customer service good, then they're more likely to refer somebody over because you're top of mind to them. You know? and, and you're top of mind regularly. You know, So when they run into somebody that could use your service, you know, they're more likely to refer. And then also when they are considering doing something additional, if you're communicating well, you're also communicating the other things you can do. You know, because a lot of businesses, especially if you do like website design, as an example, they'll come to you for a website and they won't realize because you didn't communicate well that you also offer half a dozen other things. You know, hey, we do SEO or we do social media marketing or whatever you know the case may be. We do these things. A lot of people, if you actually ask your own clientele, they won't realize you do it. So it's an upsell opportunity as well as a referral. Yeah, it's a, yeah oh, it is. Which, well, you're right. Yeah, you have to communicate. If you are not, and the bigger you get, the harder that gets. So mm-hmm. you have to stay on top. So the earlier you have in those processes, the more you'll benefit from it. Why? Why Why the bigger you get uh, does it make it harder? Because you end up with more conversations. And the constant in the agency world is... I have too much work, not enough people. If you talk to the employees, that's what they're always going to say. They're like, you sign this next project. We don't have enough time for it or something. And so how do you, so communication is always one of those things, except for the biggest clients, it always gets put on the back burner. Yeah. Cause it still takes time to write an email. And even if you have account managers, but they're busy onboarding new accounts, people forget the easiest, you know, you wouldn't have to onboard as many new accounts if you took care of the ones you had because you would have less churn. 
Yeah. So we've worked really hard in our agency to reduce the churn. Nobody's going to be at zero. You're going to lose some clients here and there, but we've really, you know, we've implemented sending out surveys and asking how we're doing so we can red flag people. If we see that we have an issue on stuff that comes back and we can communicate directly and try to clean up those issues, you know, um, sending out, you know, cause a lot of people automate the reports and stuff. Well, we do too, but you still got to communicate. You know, yeah, they'll get the report. It's a touch point, but it's not a personal touch point. How many many clients approximately can one account manager um, stay up with uh, and do a good job? That's going to depend on the nature of the client. You know, if they're smaller clients, you can take a higher number because it's mostly communication, but there's less actual work. But if it's if the, the accounts, those clients are doing more, they're going to be more high maintenance and you're going to have to spend more time with them, which means less. So it's all, there's no magic number to it. It's a matter of the nature, you know, the type of client they're actually dealing with. You know, if you've got clients that are spending, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars every month, you're going to spend a lot of time. So you're going to handle a much smaller number because they're high maintenance and you have to stay on top of them. So you could, you know, So in which case, this is where, you know, for somewhat larger businesses, you can take and have senior and junior account level managers and have the juniors work the opportunities that are lower, less risk. They're not likely to mess it up. And they, you know, they get better at their job, but they'll have a higher count and communication is a big deal. And then you give your more trusted senior account managers a much lower number, but they're all high dollar ones so that they can be very high touch with them. Uh, before I go a, a different direction, uh, Alex, any other questions on, on any of this? No, no. Go um, ahead. So yeah, to change course, um, y- you know, we have a discovery call and I previously asked you like, what will make this a great episode? Um, and before I get into my last questions, I did just want to dive into this quickly because I thought you had a, a very interesting answer and I won't put the pressure on you to ask if you remember. It was uh, always be willing to explore. And you mentioned, um, well, you know, I'll stop there and I'll, I'll see where you take that. Well, so as a business owner in general, you need to be willing to explore new avenues. You know, it could be new sources of revenue, new directions, new product lines. Um, you know, and I think it's really important as a business owner, you do that. As an agency owner, you have a lot of opportunity to do those things. You know, because we, there, there are a number of things you can do. You know, I've seen plenty of agencies that specialize in certain areas. I say we've, you know, put some focus on, um, specific industries but one of the things because of like staffing issues i now have half my staff in costa rica yeah and why because i you know it's a very common practice for agencies to do some sort of outsourcing and have a few partners to help handle stuff when they have more work than they can deal with you're not going to pass on the work you need solutions to deal with it yeah so you know i've dealt with um you know, companies and people in places like India, the Ukraine and stuff, and that can be difficult. There's challenges to it. You know, so I went on the exploration route of finding a company that I could partner with uh, in somewhere in our our time zone. And then eventually I said, okay, the partnerships worked out well, but I want to have more control over this. And I found Costa Rica as being a good spot for my own company. And we've since recruited about half of our staff and we've made a shift where we have more people down there actually than we have in the U S now. Yeah. And other companies have done this. It's not, you know, like 
I've seen companies that have um, a lot of staff in Nicaragua. Um, I've heard of Brazil. Colombia is becoming, you know, bigger and stuff. The idea is, you know, with those, I went after high English, high, you know, experience levels, same time zones, you know, a number of things just to make it easier to be able to work with them. And these are staffers now. Now, you have to be able to, you know, if I wasn't willing to look, I pay attention to what other people are doing. I see if I can do it any better for myself. Yeah. And if I'm not willing to do that, you have to adapt as a business owner. Yeah. If you never change, you're not going to be able to grow because you're going to run, especially in, in the agency world, you're going to run into barriers and you got to figure out how to go over or around them. Yeah. If you can't, and that sometimes is a lot of, you know, you have to adapt. You have to change how you're doing things. You know, we know in the States, the, um, the talent levels there, but the cost is also extremely high depending on where you're based and stuff. And even with remote work and everything, that helps some, but you know, it's not a, you know, it's not, it doesn't solve all the problems. Yeah. So, you know, I always had that problem of, we don't have enough staff to do all this work. Okay. Well, I can get you more staff, okay, but I'm going to have to do it, you know, a different way, or we can take on less work, you know, unless you want to take a pay cut, <laughs> you know, you know you, I have to have options, you know, so that's one of the options we went with. Yeah, also, we've, yeah, we've, um, we've done a, a similar thing. Uh, we outsource previously, mostly to Ukraine, um, which is where I'm from, but I completely agree with what you're saying. You get to a point where, but actually it depends on the nature of work, right? In the U S yeah. you have the talent, but in a large part, if as long as the strategy is there, you don't need the cutting edge talent that we have access to here in the U.S. And in order to compete, you have to go overseas. I mean, that, that's just the nature of where we are today. Yeah, for our world. And you gotta, we're not like reinventing the wheel here. You know, large advertising agencies have been doing this for a long time. I've gotten some of my employees from them. Um, and you also have large tech companies. Google, Microsoft, you know, come on. You know, they started going to India decades ago. It's not, let's say it's not new. And it's not even new to our industry because that's been going on, you know, for quite a while too. Um, you know, but th there's a lot of talent in different places. You know, it's just a matter of, like I say, I've dealt with Ukraine and have no problem. There's tons of talent there. And I totally support, you know, kick the Russians ass. Uh, just say it. Yeah. Let's see. But the, um, you know, same thing with India, Philippines has become big, you know, it's a matter of what you're looking for when you're trying to grow. You know, like I say I had seen a couple of companies that had modeled going after, you know, or hiring people in Nicaragua. And I'm like, I, when I looked at that, I'm like, okay, there's a problem with Nicaragua. I went for Costa Rica because there's political stability there. And that was important. Nicaragua is not quite as stable as it was. You know, they've got a more of a want to be dictator in charge. And so they've cut back on some of the freedoms and I think that's a bad idea. So I don't want to support that. You know, so I'll go to a country that's more stable because that can be disruptive. You know, when I say you're from Ukraine and I'm sure you've had ton, you know, see all the disruptions that a country at war is going to have. You mm -hmm. know, so you have to keep those kinds of things in mind of what the future might hold when you are going to such a, you know, uh, such a route. Well said.
I'm uh, I'm sure the other countries are also beautiful, but all Costa Rica, man, that is that is a beautiful country as well. I do happen to like visiting, so it's you know <laughs> that's that, a, that's that, a, that part doesn't a, hurt either. Not talking down about the other countries, but man, Costa Rica is is pretty beautiful. Well, yeah, like I say, if you're going to plan an office anywhere or staff somewhere that you intend to visit or anything, you might as well make it worth going. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so a few questions I, I tend to ask at the end. If you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Well, it depends. We're, are we talking agency owners or marketers in general? If it's marketers, yeah. keep learning. Any <laughs> you know, objection want to take that? Yeah, it, for marketers, it's it is a matter of keep learning, okay? Because there is so much that changes. There's a lot that actually stays the same, and people don't realize it because we always find, you know, because we always have new platforms and stuff. It's what can you use? You know, whether it's a platform, a new piece of software, or something. But you want to be as the beauty of marketing is there are so many ways things can work. If you can think through, you know, the the issue and the way platforms can be, you know, combined, work together, audiences, it's a really cool field. But you also got to remember, if you're a marketer, you're also going to be half data scientist, depending on what you do. Yeah. So you have to be willing to really look at the data, because if you do anything online, it's all about data. So you have to be enough. You got to be willing to look at the numbers and really take it seriously. And, you know, again, we keep mentioning season three about community and we don't just try to talk about community and leave it in the episode. We're, we're actually trying to build a community and I forget how much mm-hmm. we've kind of talked about it, but yeah, uh, I guess that we have on, we're trying to build this community, whether it's referrals, whether it's knowledge base, uh, things like that. So, you know, I'd like to know how can you work with other marketing agencies and what other services can you partner with other agencies? Well, we do white label for other agencies, you know, because of I've got over 30 staffers. So we have a lot of specialists, you know, in different areas and we'll build websites and we partner up on marketing campaigns and we can be in the background. Um, we also work with guys like, you know, chief uh, marketing officers that are like fractional. So they're not full time necessarily for uh, individual companies. So we're able to help fill gaps, you know, in when you have a project that, you know, you want to be able to take on, but you don't have the expertise. Yeah. Because I think, you know, in the marketing world, you know, everything is about that monthly recurring revenue and you need multiple channels, you know, services that you offer to be able to do that. Yeah. So that's really huge. Yeah. Being able to do that stuff. Where, where specifically do you fill in those, those gaps? Um, you know, for us, like I say we do, you know, SEO and we've got, you know, people on that front, um, you know, Paid ads, we do a ton, whether it's social, pay-per-click, you know, for Google, and we do a lot of programmatic, you know, so, you know, run ads on apps and websites that are, you know, streaming video, audio, display ads, whatever it may be. And we build a lot of websites. Um, you know, like I say, we manage about 600. They're all WordPress. So we're, you know, we are a WordPress shop and we've been able to do, you know, we've got a large enough team to do builds and maintenance and keep up on those things. Um, because there's all sorts of stuff that go on, you know, in that world. Uh, so we're able to help. And we do uh, we do branding, too, you know, but we're not like the the type of those really large, in-depth branding campaigns where, you know, we do logos because we get clients that ask. So and we have graphic designers and they like the break from doing stuff. But if you've ever dealt with a client wanting a logo, that can be one of the, you know, that can be like pulling teeth. Yeah. You know, so so we do that stuff, too. 
Well, I don't think you could have transitioned me into into my next question any better. So now I'm going to turn it around and say, if a client asks, can you do this? And it's a service that you actually don't currently provide. How do you typically handle that request? I like to partner up with other agencies and either hand it off or if depending on the project, work with them. So as an example, I'm we build e-commerce sites all the time, but I don't like e-commerce marketing. You know, like I'll build you the site, WooCommerce, Shopify, whatever. Uh, that's not a problem because we do, you know, they can be highly technical. We've done a bunch of them, you know, but actually doing it, I don't care for e-commerce marketing. We've done some and I take a pass on it. So I would rather hand it off to another agency because like I say, I believe that that's like, as an example, you know, and same thing goes with high level branding campaigns. That's not what we're good at, what we're experienced. Um, you know, so it is something that we're, you know, we want to pass it on to somebody else because we want to hook the, you know, client up, especially if say we're doing the website, we might end up maintaining it. I want to give them a good partner that can really help. And if you've ever done like e-commerce marketing, that is its own beast. We're good at location-based marketing, you know, helping on Google maps and getting people ranked and stuff. If we're talking SEO or paid ads, that's our sweet spot. So, and there's other types of marketing. Like I say that, you know, we're not the fit. And, but I will gladly hint, you know, I won't build you an app. I don't do it. You know, like if you want an app, sure. You know, I will help you find a partner for it. So I think with any agency, you can be a lot of things, but don't try to be at all because they say, you know, I just dealt with a client, you know, like I said, this one that I was talking with yesterday, this prospective client, and they have this idea of a business. And I'm like, this thing is going to be a pain in the ass. This is, and, and I don't think it's a good fit for us. It's not that he shouldn't pair up with some other marketing agency, but it shouldn't be us. I think the client was going to be difficult, but I think what they need, and he's got a software development. So if he had come to us originally, I would have said, well, we don't do this software, but I got a company that does. The guy that referred it, we actually work with. So, you know, on other projects. Yeah. So that's, you know, there's a number of things that, you know, we won't touch, but I would gladly refer out. Yeah. One more question. Um, what's, what's the goal for you um, in this agency? Is it to continue growing it? You're at 39 employees already, managed 600 sites. Is the goal to keep going, double that in a certain amount of years or what um, are you thinking? Well, let's say we are, you know, definitely working to grow it constantly. We're, you know, um, we want to make, you know, some of the campaigns we do more extensive. You know, we want to be able to get a certain, you know, um, a little bit higher paying level of clientele. You know, we like the website builds that we do. So we want to keep doing that and even take on managing more sites, but we want to expand what we're doing in the other services. And, you know, so I don't intend on going anywhere anytime soon. You know, I like what we do. We've got some, you know, new ventures and like I say we're building out, you know, the white label side of things of working with other companies more, you know, to see what they do because of the amount of expertise uh, that we have, we will end up growing our Costa Rican and our U S teams, you know, further, but you know, we, it's for us, it's a matter of, you know, um, what makes sense. So there's, like I say, we're trying to bring on uh, a little bit higher level client right now. That is, I guess part of it's like they are more invested in their marketing, you know, like they understand the real value because you end up running into some people that just don't, you know, or they have, you know, expectations that are not appropriate. And, you know, the longer you do this, the more you get tired of that, you know, kind of stuff. And so I say my advice to, uh, you know, other marketing agencies is, you know, just because you see dollar signs, watch what you're, you know, 
you know, make sure you're paying attention to what's behind that though. I say, you know, I know this guy I was talking to yesterday, he would have spent three or 4,000 bucks a month, but how long that would last and how difficult the result he wants. Yeah, I could see, I say, warning signs all over the place that this was not going to be a good relationship. And so I have to ignore those dollar signs. And if you do that, you know, I say you can grow, you know, your business. And but I do think I've seen some agencies that are so niche uh, down that they're going to struggle to grow. They're they're too specific. Yeah. And it's like always remember, if you're in business, did you create for yourself a job or a company? Yeah. I say, you know, I, I got enough people. I'm, it's not, it is a job, but you know, I'm not doing the day-to-day -day work. So make sure you know your goals. I, I wish we had another hour that just opened up like another quadrant <laughs> of questions. I have so many others. Like, I know you acquired a company. I wanted to ask about that. Uh, I know you do franchising, white labeling. I want to dive into that. And, and I, I had a very specific question that I never got to, but it was basically, you know, a lot of, and I don't want to answer because we're running out of time. <laughs> but we'll save this for the next one. But, you know, you you grew above that kind of 25 employee count that a lot of people kind of get stuck at. And, and I wanted to dive yeah. into that. Save that for another episode. The uh, the last question is uh, any book, podcast or newsletter recommendations that can be in marketing. It doesn't have to business, doesn't have to be whatever you want. Um, I'm a believer in another piece of advice for business owners is you should you need to constantly take in knowledge if you're a business owner. And it does not always have to be in the industry you are in. Okay, I am an avid reader, um, and now my biggest thing is reading business books. But I don't read a bunch of management anymore and marketing books and stuff. I read about other companies, mm -hmm. yeah. And so I've read about UPS and Walmart and Target and uh, Sam Adams beer and you name it because I want different points of view and how they overcame their own challenges. And that's what you get in those stories. So a couple of ones that I um, books that I really like um, from a management perspective. There's a book called Traction that's really good. Um, that's really valuable advice for running your organization. Um, but I also like uh, Shoe Dog, you know, which is the story of Nike, and it's written by um, Phil Knight, the founder. And he he actually went back to uh, I think it was USC or something, and took a creative writing class at like eighty years old, so he could write that book. That's great. So he didn't use a ghostwriter. It's a fascinating story, of, and it shows how a company pivots, you know, and change direction and stuff. They were always running shoes, but they changed their whole brand. A lot of people don't realize it wasn't always Nike. It was Blue Ribbon Sports. Yeah. And um, so that is a really good book. Those are two really good books. And to get those same kind of stories and like lessons, my favorite podcast is actually um, it's a company called Wondery and they do a podcast called Business Wars. And so if you really and they're great because they're like usually about five episodes. Each one will be about 20 minutes. You know, maybe a few more, depends on who they're talking about. And they'll they'll tell the story of multiple, you know, like two businesses, sometimes more going against each other over their history. Think Pepsi and Coke back from, you know, like literally the late 1800s. Yeah. And beer brands. And they've got, you know, one of the first ones I ever listened to was Netflix against Blockbuster. We all know how that kind of ended. So, you know, um. So those are they're really good from a business standpoint, but they're told like they're fiction. So they bring in voiceover actors and stuff, and it'll be like knock, knock, knock on the CEO's door. You know, like oh, we've got this problem. Yeah, it's like it's it's fascinating because they take from business books and right. they interview like the authors and then they put together the whole storyline. 
yeah, of it, and they recreate scenes, yeah, because like if you look at uh, History Channel, they've been running um, like the Men That Built America, the Titan, you know, and they've got the food that built America, the cars that built everything that built America and now the world. Um, and they're still just business stories. You know, you can see Harley Davidson, how they got started and stuff. So it's really fascinating because they'll take you back to the beginning. Yeah. It's not just the most recent stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, that's great. I, I, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there, so you got to be a little bit different. And I actually like that angle of, of kind of making it a little fictional, even though it's a nonfiction story. Yeah. I'll give you one last book too. There's a book on Netflix, um, written by the, most people don't know, realize it, but, um, was it uh, the founder, the, what we think of as the founder? I'm thinking of his name, Hoffman or whatever. Um, well, there's a guy named Randolph that back when they first got going, he was actually the CEO. And it was the late 90s. And he wrote a book about Netflix. And it does tackle some of the, a little bit of the blockbuster stuff and everything. But it's a really fascinating book because of that point of view. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a there's a ton of stuff out there, but I really recommend that kind of stuff. You know, like I say, those because of those different perspectives. That was great. I, I like that you gave two relatively popular ones, um, because I think when you hear things more than once, on, especially on this podcast, that's when you start to like really pay attention to it. So Traction Shoe Dog yeah. and uh, the podcast, I think those those great as well. Um, as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Well, they can find us at TitanDigital.com. My email is cash at titandigital.com. And um, amazingly enough, if you go on like LinkedIn and you do like the forward slash, like you can, if you search for me, you're going to find me, not a bunch of others and stuff. It's not going to get very confused because I actually have like the forward slash cash dot Miller or something, you know, whereas I, there's no numbers or anything associated because it's not like I'm not one of a bunch of other people. Um, you know, so yeah, you can definitely reach out, you know, that way too and feel free to connect. Those of us who have to do research on you before calls like this, thank you for having a, <laughs> <laughs> so we don't, we don't dive into anything that's in the wrong direction. Yeah. So but uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And for those of you who've learned something new from the episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality of guests. And as always, thank you for listening. Cash, this was great. Uh, I think this was a lot, hit a lot of new topics and everything. So thank you for coming on. Well, great. Is uh Pleasure being on the show. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients devnoodle.com.